I want to invite you to open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles and uh, navigate your way to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Before we, um, before we jump in this morning, I want us to just pause and take a moment to, to, to go into the presence of our Lord. Our Father, you are indeed beautiful. You are indeed wonderful. God, we are overwhelmed at who you are when we come to realize who you really are. You are glorious. And you are worthy of all of our praise and all of our adoration, of our obedience. We, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We, we realize that all that we have and all that we are is your gracious gift. And uh, Lord, we look at our world today and we see such incredible hurt and suffering and pain. And Lord, we know that that is the result of of man's rebellion against you and the consequences that come with that. And yet, Lord, you are gracious. You are good. You have made a plan of redemption for all who will believe. We thank you for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the people that have believed on you. We thank you for the people that um, exercise the likeness of Christ and reaching out to people who've been affected by hurricanes and and earthquakes and all the disasters that come in this world. Lord, we pray for those people that are that are meeting needs. God, may you prosper them. May you enable them to be able to help people and may your name be glorified and honored in it. Lord, we look at our world and we see the threat of war of terror and other horrible things. And God, we call upon you by your grace. Lord, we, we pray that you would give our, our president, our Congress, our judges, God, would you give them godly wisdom to make right decisions. Lord, may you allow righteousness to reign in our country. Lord, may you turn the hearts of your people back to yourself. May you give us here, Lord, a new faithfulness to you, a new love, and renew our minds in who you are and what you've done for us today. And Lord, help us to grow in our likeness of you. And we give this time to you now through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the year 303 A.D., the Roman emperor uh, Diocletian was doing everything that he could to uh, wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. And he was um, uh, the ruler of, you know, the known world at that time. And so he, he figured that, yes, he could do that. that there wouldn't be any problem at all for him to accomplish. And so he began to kill Christians. 
and thousands upon thousands of Christians were killed. Can you give me just a little drop on the sound here? I'm a little, I'm blowing you guys out of here, I think. But one of the things he also noticed as he was persecuting Christianity, trying to wipe it out, was that he had to do something with this thing called a Bible or Scripture. It was, it was just tied to the whole concept of Christianity. And so he began to confiscate all of the uh, scrolls, all of the fragments, all of the uh, codexes. I mean, everything that he could find that was related to Scripture, and he began to burn them. And he had a big pile where he was burning uh, portions of Scripture. When he had come to the place where he thought he had, he had confiscated all Scripture, he erected a large column with an arch. And on that arch, he inscribed these words. The Bible is extinct. Was it? Not quite. But in a few years, he was. He died. And the very next emperor of Rome commissioned Eusebius, the historian, to... Make 50 copies of Scripture at the expense of Rome. Incredible thing, wasn't it? You see, some people say that this book is not the book of the month. This is the book of the century. Not the book of the century. It's the book of the ages. The Word of God will always stand. It will always endure. Everything else may fall but the word of the Lord will endure. And today we're going to talk about the role of Scripture in our, in our spiritual formation. And the last week uh, we began to talk about that. So this is a continuation of our series called The Next Step in Spiritual Formation. And um, last week we, we learned that spiritual formation has some familiar synonyms. The biblical word is sanctification, and that describes uh, the process of being set apart from sin and, and set apart to God, and it describes the process, really, of becoming more like Jesus Christ in his character and in his actions. It is the character of Christ being formed in our lives to which that term spiritual formation refers Christ, the character of Christ is being formed in our lives. And as we grow, uh, one of the, or I would say that the Bible also calls uh, this growing up into all aspects under Christ. In the simplest terms, we're talking about spiritual growth that is measured in terms of how much we become like Jesus Christ. So as we grow spiritually, we, we glorify God, we benefit other believers, we come to have personal joy in our lives, and we invest in our eternal future. And spiritual growth doesn't just happen 
automatically when we become Christians. In other words, it requires uh, uh, active obedience on our part. Spiritual growth takes discipline. It takes hard work. It takes faithfulness in order to grow spiritually. So hopefully we're beginning to learn a little bit more about what spiritual formation means. But the question we want to address today is, well, how do we do that? How do we come to that place where we are growing spiritually, we're becoming more like Jesus Christ? How do we do that practically? Well, it's not mystical. It's not sentimental. It's not psychological. There's not some secret formula that you have to learn. It simply comes from understanding and practicing what is given to us in the Word of God, those principles that are laid out for us. And that's why when we begin to talk about the, the, the practical discipline of spiritual growth, that we must begin by talking about the Bible. The Bible is essential for our spiritual growth. It's foundational. It's the starting point. Now, what we believe about the Bible is clearly laid out for us in a, in a document that we hold called the Baptist Faith and Message. If you're a member, you've been exposed to that. You, you've, you've seen that. You've heard that. Because it's a little document that just contains the doctrinal beliefs, what we believe as Christians and as Baptists. And the Baptist Faith and Message is, is simply that. It's, it's what Baptists believe. It's what Christians believe. And, and the very first statement that appears in the Baptist faith and message is, is concerns scripture. It starts with scripture. And here's what it says about the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and is therefore and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. In other words, Christ is the full revelation of God. And what you will find after that is a whole string of, of scripture references showing where each concept in that statement comes from in scripture. In other words, it's scripture that defines what scripture is and what we believe about scripture. It's the, it's the foundation. It's the starting point. Now, why does this, why does this great statement of faith begin with scripture? Because everything that we believe Everything that follows in that statement of faith comes right out of Scripture. It's, it's based on the Scriptures. Now, take a look at the first part of that statement again. It says, the Holy Bible 
was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself. It's to man. It's a perfect treasure of divine instruction and it has God for its author. You see, all of those phrases are simply saying that the Bible is the word of God. It's God speaking. It's God revealing. It's God instructing us. It's God writing. And because of that, it is totally true and trustworthy. There, it has truth for its matter. So let's look here at um, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because this is where it begins. Second Timothy chapter 3 and beginning, uh, I begin in verse 14. Now, Paul wrote this letter at the end of his life. And it's a, it's a, it's a letter about transferring the, the torch, passing the baton to the next generation. It's an older pastor speaking to a younger pastor. And among the, the, the important things that Paul tells Timothy is that he has to make sure that he builds his life and his ministry upon the firm foundation of the Word of God. That's really what he's, his point here. And he says, beginning in verse 14, you continue in the things that you have learned and become convicted or convinced of, knowing them, uh, excuse me, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, we're going to talk about the, those, that passage in more detail as we go through here. But I want you to begin with, look at verse 16, where it says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, that phrase, inspired by God, is actually one word in the Greek. It's a word that means, literally, breathed out by God. God breathe, as we sometimes say it. And when we, you know, when we speak, words come out with our breath. It's a picture here of, of that, the idea that the words come from God Himself. The point is He is making is that the Bible is the Word of God. This is God speaking to us. And, and Paul is saying, uh, God gives us this revelation. Now, Think about this. This is not what a bunch of religious people say about God or say about the Bible. This is the breath of God. You know, and, and God would sometimes actually breathe his word into his people. For example, he, he told Jeremiah, he says, he says to him, um, I, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. He told him exactly what to say, what to 
repeat to the people. He did that also with Moses sometimes. He said, here, go say this to the, to my people. Literally what they were supposed to say. But, but more than often, more often, the, the words of God came through the lives of his chosen people. Uh, it came through their, their, their mind, their emotions, their life experiences. And so that God would take what he wanted to say and he would divinely direct them to write what they needed to write. He was using their own personalities. He was using their own minds and emotions. But God was in a, in a unique way, in a supernatural way, making sure that what they wrote was exactly what God wanted so that he could say, this is my word breathed out. It's an incredible thing. You see, God always has this unique combination of of working with people. God does it, but but also we have a part in it, a responsibility in it. Now, the main point we're making over and over is that Scripture is the divinely inspired Word of God. And because of that, it's true in every regard, totally trustworthy. You can build your life on that. You can you can trust your eternity to this truth. Now, let me share with you five reasons why you can true you can truly embrace the word of God in your life. First of all, the word of God can give you life. It can give you life. Look back at verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3. And that from childhood You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You say, what are the sacred writings? Well, that's just another word for the scriptures. That's just another way of saying the word of God. He's, he's saying that these were, these were writings that covered a great long history in the people. You remember the, it goes all the way back. Genesis goes all the way back to the very beginning of man. And at that point, one of the things that God did was he, when man sinned, God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3. And he said, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make a way of salvation for you. He made this promise. And then all through the ages, God continued to give more and more revelation until finally we come to the New Testament time when Jesus Christ himself comes and he is the fulfillment of the promise of salvation that God has made to the world. And and here Paul is saying to, to Timothy, look, you you can look at the scriptures, these sacred writings, and you can make the connection and you can have the wisdom to understand how you are saved. It gives you, tells you what you need to know in order to be saved. Salvation is by faith. It's faith in Christ, right? How do you get the faith? Well, Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. You hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit uses that To build faith in your heart. He's the one who convinces you that it's true. That it's real. He's the one who gives it life. As it were. In fact Jesus says in John 6.63. He says it is the spirit who gives life. 
The flesh profits nothing. Listen, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. My words are spirit and life. They give life. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, For you have been born again through the living word of God. God's word is alive. It brings life into our lives. And the word of God is what helps you, brings you to the place where you can trust Christ. James chapter 1 and verse 18 It says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Notice how he describes it there as the word of truth. Look at all the names for the Bible that we just looked at. The sacred writings, the wisdom that leads to salvation, the word of Christ, uh, the living word of God, and the word of truth. That's what the, that's what you have in your hand. You have this incredible treasure, this intru- incredible gift. Now think about the, the the parable of the sower in Luke chapter eight, and here Jesus gives us another image of it. He pictures the, he pictures the word as seed that's scattered across the earth, and he says some of that seed. Falls on the, you know, the compacted earth by the, by the highway where people have traveled and got hardened. It's gotten packed down. And he says, and the birds, they come and they eat up the seed. And Jesus explains in verse 12, he says, that's the devil who comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. You're saying that the word is what people have to believe to be saved? People have to hear the word of God to be saved. That's why we need to speak the word of God. And do you understand what the devil wants to do? He will do anything to take the word of God out of the hearts of people. That's why in our world there's such an uproar about getting the Bible out of schools or any other public situation or anywhere because it is the Word of God that is alive, that brings life into the souls of people, and the devil wants to get rid of it. And and he goes on to tell us that even when that seed does take root, that oftentimes it gets choked out by thorns. He says in, in verse 14, the, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Do you understand that the cares of this world, the, the busyness of life, is another thing that tries to keep the Word of God out of our hearts, that keeps us from having that life busyness. You know, if I, I say if there's, a, if there's a one thing that would keep us from reading our Bibles, busyness. The other things that are more pressing, more urgent, or considered more important. 
You see, God gives us his word because it gives us life. But let me tell you this. The word of God also sustains your life. Scripture, yes, it gives life, but it sustains life. We are, we are born spiritually and we are nourished spiritually. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So friend, if you want to grow spiritually, it takes the word in your life. A newborn baby is sustained. It's new life and it's born, but it's, it's life is sustained now by the, its mother's milk. And that little baby is born with an innate, uh, uh sucking reflex. Because it, it's a critical, its life depends upon it. It must get that nourishment into its body in order to survive. It longs for it. Have you, have you seen a, a hungry baby lately? Let me tell you, when a baby is hungry, there is nothing else that will pacify it. I mean, it's not interested in hearing you talk, baby talk. It's not interested in you making funny faces. It's not interested in being held or cuddled or rocked or anything else. There is nothing that's going to satisfy that baby short of feeding it. And you, you see, this is what he's saying about us. What we need is we need spiritual nourishment to survive, to sustain our lives. And, and, and you know what? It, it always concerns me uh, when, when people who claim to be Christians do not have a strong desire for the Word. It just really concerns me. And, and even if they are Christians, actually Christians, they are going to be weak, emaciated, they're going to be spiritually malnourished. They're not going to be able to do the things. They're not going to be able to really grow. They're just going to remain little babies. And we need to remember the words of Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. Oh, friends, we love to eat, don't we? I mean, look at our picnic, man. All the juicy burgers and, and all the sides and, and, the, and the desserts. Oh, man. It was wonderful. You know, we were delighting in it. We love to eat. But what about spiritually? Do you love to eat God's Word? Does it... Does it satisfy you? Does it bring joy and delight to your life? You know, it'll not only strengthen you, it, 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 it gives you joy. You see, a lot of people, a lot of people are not growing, not maturing because they don't have a desire for the Word. And I would say to you that if you don't have the desire, you need to check your heart and see if you really are a Christian. True Christians have a desire for the Word. And you know, uh, Paul says a little later that 
these little babies that drink their milk, they grow up and they start eating meat. They get to the place where they begin to take in more, more substantial nourishment. And they are then able to be strong enough to do things that adults can do. And to can do th- great things in the kingdom of God. You're never ever going to progress beyond where you are in your, in your consumption of God's word. Spiritually. There's another reason why you can embrace the word of God. And that's because the word of God can discern your life. Uh, in Galatians chapter uh, 3 and verse 22, uh, Paul says this. He says, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, isn't that an interesting statement? To be shut up, to shut up everyone under sin. Shut up. That's what kids say. Shut up. Shut up. You think about that. You let that sink in for a minute. Shut up. You say, what do you mean shut up? Don't talk. The Bible shuts us up. You say, what do you mean? Well, you, here's, here's what we do. We, in our humanness, in our sinfulness, we make excuses for why we do what we do. We excuse ourselves. And the Bible comes along and it shows us our guilt. It shows us our sin. And it takes away all of our excuses so that we're left, we can say nothing. We have nothing to respond. There's no, we're guilty. It's clear. It's evident. There's nothing else to say. That person, you see, when you come to that place, when you acknowledge I am guilty and, man, there's nothing I can do to earn favor with God, that is the person that is ready to be saved. And that is the person who is ready to grow, which when you get shut up. And it's, it goes right along with Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. Now you have to keep in mind that these words were written to people who knew the truth, but were hardening their hearts against it. They knew the reality of Jesus Christ as the Savior, but they were rejecting that. And they were making excuses for it. And saying, I don't, I can't accept that. I don't believe that. And they were making, you know, um, logical arguments against it. And, you know, claiming ignorance, people say, I don't want to be a Christian because da, 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 da. They can name all the reasons. I don't want to worship with God's people regularly because Da, 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 da. In other words, we got our excuses for that. I don't want to, I don't want to give to God's work because da, 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 da. I don't want to serve because da, 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 da. In other words, we got all of our excuses why 
we don't want to do those things. But you see what the Bible is saying to us is that we can outwardly try to make excuses. Outwardly we can try to hide what it is that we are doing. We can hide our true, what we truly think, our true motivations, our true thoughts and intentions. But the word of God comes through our hard hearts. It cuts through all of that mess and it lays bare all that is inside of us and shows us what we really are. Now, let me tell you, when the Word of God does that, we often, almost immediately, just push that away. We harden ourselves to it. When we're hearing the Word of God preached and we know that God is speaking to us and we're feeling uncomfortable, one of the things we often do is just, okay, no, no, no. I can't, can't accept that, can't go there, don't want to deal with that. And then we go on our own way. But you know what? One day we're going to stand before God and the Word of God is going to reveal all that we are. Everything's going to be laid bare. I heard about a, a new game show on television that was very popular uh, just recently. I don't know if it's still popular or not, but in this uh, game show, contestants are asked a series of really personal, embarrassing uh, and even incriminating questions, all under the scrutiny of a poly, polygraph. Now, if they answer truthfully according to the polygraph, they win money. If they answer falsely according to the polygraph, they lose what money they have accumulated. As the game goes on, the, the questions get more personal, more prying. They ask questions that uh, deals with a person's thought life, deals with their motivations, or things that have been, been done in secret, uh, affairs, and that kind of thing. And it becomes more and more difficult. And as they accumulate money more and more, it becomes more difficult to answer the, the question truthfully. And finally, the person kind of gets, you know, when they ask a question, you know, have you ever cheated on your spouse? And the person uh, has, you know, I got to make the choice. Am I going to keep all this money and tell the truth? Lose my spouse, you know, over this possibly? Or am I going to lie and lose all the money? And then my spouse is going to know I was lying anyway when the polygraph goes off. You know, it's one of those kind of things. They call this game the moment of truth. Now, I don't know how truthful all those polygraph things are and all that kind of thing, but I want to tell you this. One day, all of us are going to have a moment of truth. We're all going to stand before God. And His Word cuts through everything, and He shows us what we really are on the inside. All of our intentions, all of our motivations, all everything. What it does. And we will stand in, in judgment before the Lord and, and everything will be laid bare to his eyes. His word judges our thoughts and intentions. Here's the point. That's going to happen. The point is, let the word of God discern your life now. Let the word of God cut into your heart and show you what you really are right now. Go to God. Acknowledge it. 
Confess it. Be forgiven. Turn away from it. Make it right where you need to make it right. Believe when you really need to believe. Do what's right. See, the Word of God discerns our life. And it's, that's one of the wonderful gifts that God has given us to show us what, where we really are and what we really are. I'll, I'll tell you this. The, the Word of God can direct your life. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Don't you love that verse? It's a picture of, a, of someone just walking through the dark with a lamp. And the lamp, the light is just enough to give you the next step. And as you take the next step, there's light for the next step. And it directs you through the darkness. And in a similar way, the psalmist is saying that God's word is light in this world in which we live. There, there's light for the next step. It tells us about all the things that we need to know. It tells us about who God is and what he is like. It tells us who we are and what we're like. It tells us about the devil. It tells us about uh, the church. It tells us about the end times. It tells us about family. Whatever it is, it gives you direction how to live in life. It gives you wisdom for life. It directs your life. It's good and it's wonderful. And, and see, that brings us to our, to our, our final reason here. Number five, the, the word of God can profit your life. It has many wonderful benefits for us. Look what he says in verse 16 again. All scripture is inspired by God. And listen, because it's really God's word, really comes from God, it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Wow. It's profitable for for teaching. And again, it tells us everything that we need to know in life, the important things. It's profitable for doctrine, for understanding what it is that we believe. That's how we got our Baptist faith and message because we just took what the Bible says about these important items and we said this is what we believe about it. It, it's, it's, It's for reproof. Profitable for reproof. Now, reproof is, a, it carries the idea of rebuking someone in the sense of showing them that they're not being consistent with the truth of Scripture. In other words, when, when you know what is right and you're not doing what is right, the Bible points that out in your life. It, 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 it sounds kind of, kind of negative, but see, we need to know when we're off base. But that comes then, the next thing is correction. Because when we're off base, the Bible not only just shows us that we're off base, it shows us how to get back on the right path, where we need to go. It gives us that direction. So it all goes together. Reproof's kind of the negative side, and, and correction is the positive side. And then there's training in righteousness. It shows us how to walk in a way that pleases God. Now, training implies disciplined practice. Now, something that we know about in our day, disciplined practice. And coaches and trainers today often refer to, to something called muscle memory. It's the idea that your muscles can remember certain motions if they are, if it's practice enough. Now, it can be a, you know, a throwing motion. It can be a, you know, a swinging motion, some form of 
motion. I mean, it can be all kinds of, of motions that you can think of. Uh, it can be, you know, but whatever it is you're doing, what it is, you, if you practice it correctly, then it begins to become natural. It becomes a part of you. It's something that you don't have to think about and, and give intense um, uh, attention to, but it simply happens because it's been practiced over and over and over. Spiritually, we, we train in righteousness. We do what is, we learn what is right. We do what is right. We practice that over and over. It becomes a part of our character, our nature, and thus we are building the character, the likeness of Christ into our lives. Christ is being formed and His life and His character is coming out in our life in a natural way. Spiritual growth. Training in righteousness. And he says, verse 17, so that the man of God may be equipped or may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God uses the scriptures to equip you to do everything that needs to be done spiritually in life. In fact, he says in, you know, Ephesians 2.10 that we're, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we would walk in them. Now, of all the treasures that you could ever possess, God has given you an incredible treasure in the Word of God. It does all of these things. It benefits you, profits you in all these ways. It's an incredible gift. You know, the American missionary Adoniram Judson arrived in, in Burma in 1812. 38 years later, in 1850, he died. While he was there, he suffered greatly for the cause of the gospel. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He lived so much of his life in shackles. And during that ordeal, his wife, Anne, died. And when she passed away, it was it was just, I mean, it was devastating to him. He, he loved her so much and he sat on her grave every day for months, mourning her, grieving over the loss of his, of his wife. And he just found himself feeling so far from God. He says, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I cannot find him. He felt so distant, so far from God. But then, Mr. Judson remembered the Word of God. He turned back and began to read the Word of God. And with the reading of the Word of God, his faith was restored. And he began then to take on the task that he he realized how much God had done in his life through the power of the word of God. And he said, these people need the word of God in their own lives. And he began a project of translating the scripture into the Burmese language. And he, and he worked feverishly for a long time until finally he, he, in 1834, he completed the New Testament. He continued to work 
labored diligently long hours and, and eventually completed the Old Testament as well. Now, the statistics are unclear, but as best as we can tell, at that time, there were 15 believers in the entire country of Burma at the completion of the work. And then he died. No churches. Not a single church. At the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into Burmese, a celebration was held and a Burmese believer stood up and he spoke of Adoniram Judson. And he said this, we know him. We know how he loved the Burmese people, how he suffered for the gospel out of love for us. He died a pauper, but he gave us the treasure of the Bible. When he died, there were few believers, but today there are over 600,000 of us, and every single one of us trace our spiritual heritage to one man, the Reverend Adoniram Judson. The Bible, in the language of the people, was the greatest treasure that he could possibly have given those people. And friend, the greatest treasure you have is the Word of God. It is all of these things and more, just barely touching upon some of the things that the Bible says about itself. It's a great treasure that God has bestowed upon us. Listen, don't miss out on all that God has for you. But, but as great and wonderful as a treasure as the Bible is, if you don't use it, it's useless to you. It's meaningless to you. You say, well, well how do I benefit from the Scriptures? Let me just briefly mention four things. Read it. Read it. For some of you, that's the next step. Is simply to begin to read the Bible on a consistent basis. Tonight, in our groups, we're going to be introducing to you a new way to be able to read the Bible. We're going to, this will be one of the things that we will do is we want to introduce you to a, um, an app for your phone that's called Read Scripture. It's by Crazy Love Ministries. And it, uh, is a, it's a wonderful, uh, tool. And it has um, some videos that explains to you where you are in your reading, the context of what's going on. Uh, it shows you, uh, keeps track of your progress, tells you exactly what it is you need to read for each day. It'll even send you reminders and so forth. But it's simply a tool, a way for you to read the Bible in an understanding way. And for some of us just... Just reading is where we've got to start. Some of us don't even really know what's in there, in that Bible. Yeah, there's a lot of Bible there. I'm not really sure what was all there, but you've got to read it. But not only just read it, but, but study it. You see, don't go through life with this shallow, superficial understanding of the Bible. 
There are all kinds of ways for you to study the Bible. One of them would begin to be a, a part of a small group, to get involved in a Sunday school class where you are understanding the Bible, to be faithful in coming and hearing the Word explained in, in worship time. There are all kinds of studies and opportunities for you to be a part of. Study the Bible. Understand what it means. And then believe it. I mean, it's one thing to, to know what it says, even to study it. But you've got to believe it. There are so many voices today calling for our attention, calling for our allegiance. Science, psychology, humanism, mysticism. They're all voices that are, that are calling to, for uh, attention and for authority, competing with authority over them, all saying, we know what's right. We know what is true. This is the way you live. But the Bible is truth. The Bible is the way you live. It tells us what is right. And friends, don't, don't go with the majority. Don't abandon the Word of God. And finally, obey it. See, because the whole purpose of reading it and studying it and believing it is so that you can live it. So that the character of Christ actually becomes a part of your life. The character of Christ is not in your life because of your knowledge. It's, a, it's in your life because of your obedience. If you love me, you'll obey me. And when you begin to, to believe the word and to let it have its way in your life, then the character of Christ will be truly formed in your life. It'll begin to come out and have a tremendous impact upon your life. See, this is a, this is a master key that opens the door, opens the vault to everything else spiritual. This is where you start. This is the next step for many of you. And I, let me say that it's not too late. If you still want to be a part of a, of a group, you can still do that. Uh, you can get signed up there. You say there's a sign-up sheet out there. It's not much room. I don't care where you Just write your name on there. We'll get you somewhere. Okay, it, it, you need to, you need this. And, and this is, you see, one of the things that we're doing here, we're talking about, okay, well, I'm hearing it today and I'm believing it, but these groups are about living it, about obeying it. And that's where we often, so often stop is we hear it and we, sometimes we can so say we, we intellectually, we agree with it, but when we leave here, it's not really a part of our life. We've got to get to a place where we're practicing it, where it's disciplined practice in our life. That's when it begins to take character in our lives. That's what we're encouraging you to do in the days ahead. So um, I don't know if Christoph is here this morning, but if he, if he is, this is for him. That's all I got. Okay. All right, let's pray.